All right, our speaker this morning is uh, uh, back with us. He's a longtime high ground attendee, and we always enjoy hearing from Doug. Uh, we do have Mike Brumbaugh introducing him. Mike? Um, if there's two things I would say about Doug, it's that he uh, loves the Word of God and he loves people. So uh, he's got seven kids, uh, three of his own, and four that he has adopted that are definitely his own. His son Ryan's here with us today. And uh, when we talk about loving the Word, he's going to show you that this morning. When we talk about loving the people, uh, he is in the process of adopting his fifth child, a Down syndrome baby from China. So if you can imagine, uh, you know, Jesus dying for us and being adopted into his family, think about just somebody who's destined for just the worst life possible, a female Down syndrome baby in China. And uh, that's his heart. So without further ado, here's Doug. It is good to be back up here. Uh, it's been three or four years. I know Ryan's really excited to be back, right? <laughs> be out there boarding. He loves boarding. Um, but I really appreciate last night, Steve, what you shared about being a someday saint versus a barred time believer. Because it's like I, I learned so much about the Christian life through adoption. And... Uh, and now, wherever I go speak, I always talk about adoption because God has such a heart for the fatherless. You see it all throughout Scripture. And, uh, and until my wife enlightened me about God's heart for the fatherless, I'd never really considered it. And now, you know, we, we, you know um, we, of the four adopted children, three of them are special needs that we have. Uh, and this one we're going to get is a special need. Two of them will, are Down syndrome. One's waiting on a heart transplant named Rachel. And then one doesn't have a left hand, which means she's basically garbage in that country. And, you know, we're garbage. <laughs> and yet God loves us. Not for anything we do for him. And, you know, uh, I was sharing with Ernest and uh, Mark last night. We were talking. They said, you know, there's a lot of guys here that don't know your story. Just so you know... Um, uh, you know, for a lot of you new guys, uh, I, I spent eight years in the Marine Corps and, and did not really live as a barred time believer until I had a near fatal accident in 1987. And uh, God brought a buzzard through my windshield of my Harrier. I flew Harriers for eight years in the Marine Corps. And I was going 450 when I hit it, and it was an attention getter for me. And uh, He opened my eyes. Uh, the, the fact that I am on borrowed time, and it was a, a life change for me, because I was a believer when it happened. But I, 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 you know, I don't remember landing the plane, but I had an experience with God in that cockpit where His love for me was so real, and it was not based on anything I did. It was based on everything His Son did. And uh, I got out of the Marine Corps in '91, got in the FBI, spent four years as an FBI agent. I was on the SWAT team. I loved everything about it. And then in 1994, I went on a mission trip with some guy named John Mazel. And uh, my whole life radically changed, even more, because God said, hey, I don't want you doing that anymore. And Mazel started me off at a great salary. The problem is I had to raise it all, you know. Uh, uh, <clears throat> but I, that's kind of my story, you know, uh, in ministry. It's almost 20 years now, John. You know, it's hard to believe. Uh, and I remember something that John told me then. He said, you know, whether Jesus takes you up or down, you just keep following him. And um, 
So I thought about the questions that uh, Steve asked last night. What are you doing here? What are you fishing for? What do you love more than Jesus? And this morning, I have some questions for you too that kind of dovetail real nice with those. These are not pleasant questions as you introspect. These are not things that you want to ask yourself because a lot of times we don't like it. But you know, when you get up in the mirror in the morning, you see junk all over your face. If you don't see that and take care of it, then you go out of your house and that's what the world sees. So Paul says, examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. So this morning, I want us to do a little self-examination. First question is, whose family do people associate you with? God's or Satan's? When you go out into the world, when you go up the ski slope, whenever you're in a business or whenever you're doing something, who do they associate you with? Because it's one or the other. And, you know, this, this was funny. My, my three adopted daughters that we've had, we just got uh, Ellie, uh, Abby, who's the Down syndrome one in November. Uh, the other three, uh, Rachel came two years ago. The other one we've had, we've had for like six years. And I was really convicted about teaching them the scriptures. And so I've been just, for the last two years, ever since we brought Rachel home, who didn't speak any English when we brought her into our home, teaching them through the Old Testament. Because you know what? The Old Testament is this thick. The New Testament is this thick. It's the foundation for the New Testament. And so I began teaching them. So Sunday, it was funny, we were coming home from church, and I was talking to the girl, so I says, what do y'all learn today? We learned about Daniel. And I said, well, what'd you learn? And, and, and so they were telling me, and I said, well, you did you get into this or you get into this? And I said, yeah, and the teacher was asking us questions, and Rachel, the one who's only been here two years, didn't speak any English, raised her hand and said, and I answered all the questions, Daddy. She was so proud. And then I would answer, I'd stick my hand up, and she wouldn't call me. And I'd say, why are you not calling me? She said, because you're a McCary. I know you know the answers. <laughs> but she associated, that that teacher associated the fact that she knew Scripture with being part of my family. And when we're out in the world, when people see us, who do they associate you with? It should be God. Second question, why are you a follower of Jesus? Why? Is it because of what He can do for you? What do you think He can do for you? Or is it because of who He is? Third question, what are you hungry for? <laughs> Yesterday, we were on the, uh, on the slopes with the Kempers, and uh, I think it was Derek said, man, we need some meat at breakfast. Well, guys, you're going to get some meat this morning, because this is 22, or it's 22 through 71 of John 6. This is a lot of verses. So, Randy, you know, we talked about Hezekiah last night. We're asking God for an extra 15 minutes today as we go through this. Uh, you guys aren't laughing at that, man. <laughs> anyway... What, what, are you, what are you hungry for? What are you hungry for? You know, uh, I want you to really think about that as we look at John 6. If you have a Bible, open it up to John 6. And we're going to look at 6.22 through 71. Now, that's a lot of verses. We're not going to read them all, but we're going to go through them. And, and I gave you a kind of an outline there that, that God calls us to remember, remember these six truths. And I'm going to state them, and then we're going to go through and look at them in the verses, because they all are extracted from the scripture that I just gave you. All right? First, that he knows what's in our hearts, and he always exposes it. He always exposes what's in our hearts, because he, he cares more about what's on the inside than what's on the outside. 
It's always true. Second, he will instruct us in truth. You don't have to worry about knowing God's will. He will reveal his will to you. It's not a mystery. In fact, most of it is right here in his word. Third, those that ultimately seek earthly satisfaction will ultimately reject Jesus as Lord. If that's your goal, you're going to reject him as Lord because the two don't go together. All right? Fourth, rejected truth brings confusion, frustration, and judicial blindness. Judicial blindness. That means that you can't see now because he doesn't allow you to see. Fifth, true disciples believe his word and are supernaturally connected to God, while false disciples do not believe his word and are superficially connected to God, to Jesus. And lastly, it's only by grace that we can truly follow and ultimately know God. It's his grace to give to us. It's not something you do to go get it, which is hard for us. Now, let me set the stage for you. We're in chapter 6, and let me tell you what's been happening, okay? John wrote the Gospel of John really to, to accomplish probably more than uh, four objectives, but I, I, I've kind of boiled it down into four objectives. The first one is to show Jesus Christ is the sent one from God. That's first. Second, to show the salvation that he offers mankind. Third, to show how people respond to that offer. And then fourth, to show that Jesus Christ is God. That he is God. He's not just sent by God, but he is God. Basically, you can boil the, the, the Gospel of John down to two words. And I hope that you'll never forget this. If somebody asks you what the Gospel of John's about, you can tell them this. Believe and receive. Believe that he's the Son of God and receive him as your Savior and Lord. That's what he came for. That's why John wrote it. And he lays out seven signs in this, miraculous signs to show that Jesus is the sent one from God and that he offers mankind salvation and how that people respond to it. Now, what's going on in the first five chapters getting up to this point is the, the, you know, the first part is a prologue kind of laying out the whole book. And then in chapter two, Jesus starts doing miracles. First thing he does is he turns water into wine. That's a creative miracle. And he did that. And then John the Baptist is kind of pointing the way to him, kind of showing who he is. And then Nicodemus comes to him in chapter 3, and, and, and he's a religious leader, and he sees these signs, and he knows the Scriptures, and so he comes to him by night, oh, because he's afraid. He's afraid of the religious leaders. And, and, and then in chapter 4, Jesus encounters a Samaritan woman, and he talks to her about what true worship is. And then in chapter 5, Jesus begins ticking people off by healing a, a guy on the Sabbath. And he, he always was direct in his confrontation of error. And that's what he did. He went right to him. He healed a guy on the Sabbath, and they wanted to kill him for it. And so he, it's not his time to go. It says it's not his hour. So he leaves, goes back to Cana. And uh, as he's going back to be with his disciples to, to teach them, the, the crowd knew that he had healed this guy, so they start following him. All of a sudden, there's 5,000 men and their families, and, and there's not a lot of food to go around. Because it's not like here, where grocery stores and restaurants everywhere. And, and so it says in the first part of chapter 6 that he asked his disciples, how are you going to feed them? And it says he asked them to test them. Because he knew what he was going to do. He always knows what he's going to do. And it says that he fed the 5,000 people 
And just like the water was the, uh, turned into wine was the best wine they ever drank, the bread that Jesus made was the best bread they'd ever eaten. And when they ate that bread, they said, wow, this guy fed us, all these people. We need to follow him. And so they started following him. So they followed him as he went back. He's going to, to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And, and they, they heard that he had went back. And they want to find him because they want more bread. They said that was good bread. It was free bread. They were wanting a welfare state. That's what they wanted. They wanted free bread. And they, and they saw this guy could be the leader that's going to lead us back into our glory and, and, and get Rome out of our hair. That's what they thought. And that's where we come into the passage where we hit verse 22. And it says, On the next day the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had only been one boat there, that Jesus had not entered the boat with His disciples, but His disciples had gone away alone. Now other boats from Tiberias came near that place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there nor His disciples, they got into boats, they went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Guys, that's the first truth. He knows what's in our hearts. He knew what was in their hearts. You know, back in John chapter 2, it says, there were many that believed, but it said Jesus did not reveal himself to them because he knew what was in their hearts. He knows what's in your heart. He knows if you're playing a Christian game. He knows if you talk about loving God and then you go out on the slopes and you live a different lifestyle. You want to know what Christ-like life looks like? Go read 1 Peter, 2 Peter. Because in his life, Peter was struggling to get it. But boy, when he wrote those letters, he understood it. And he talks about what the Christian life looks like. We are to have an effective life. And we do it not by our own power. It's in the power of God. But the problem is so many people come to Jesus looking for Him for how He's going to improve their life. Jesus is not in the improvement business. He's in the destruction and transformation business is what He does. He rebuilds. He resurrects. He's not just trying to refurbish your life. He wants your life to be radically changed from what it is before you know Him. He knows what's in our hearts. I, this, this came to mind. I had a guy call me not too long ago. <clears throat> I've been talking to him for two or three years. And he, he left a message on my phone. He said, I am done with God. I, I'm tired of His unfulfilled promises in my life. All right? I'm, I'm going to be a Satanist because I'm not, I'm not doing it anymore. At least I keep my word. He doesn't keep His word. And you know why he was so angry? Because his business deal did not go through. Well, guys, God never promised you a business deal. He never promised you health and wealth. What he did promise you is that if you follow his son Jesus and trust in him and you receive what he offers, then you will live forever in the presence of God. That's what he promises you. And when you understand that that's what's the most important thing, the other stuff doesn't really matter because you know you're just his vessel here on earth to share that message. And if he wants to share it as a business owner, he'll do it through a business owner. If he wants you to be a guy who lives as a homeless guy, then you can live as a homeless guy. He takes you where you go. He never promised you success in the eyes of the world. Next, he says, he will instruct us in truth. Verse 27, this is what I love. Jesus said to them in verse 27, 
He answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of loaves. Then he goes on to say, do not labor. He's instructing them. Don't labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. Now, I find it interesting that he says, do not labor for this, but labor for this, but I'm going to give it to you. Isn't that interesting? He gives it to us. It's a gift from God. And I think the word there for labor, he's really saying, listen, is the Christian life easy? No, it's not easy. But he will always instruct us in truth. Remember what he said in the Beatitudes? Blessed are the what? Poor in spirit, for they shall inherit the kingdom of God. Guys, poor in spirit, poor in spirit. You have nothing to offer God spiritually. He says, blessed are the, those that mourn. You know why you're mourning? Because you look around and you see the corruption of the world, the evil of sin in the world. You see its impact. When you see pornography, it should turn your stomach because that's offensive to God instead of looking in your own desire for personal satisfaction. It should make us mourn. Blessed are those that mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those that are meek, they inherit the earth. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. I like this one. For they will be satisfied. Do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? Is that what you really are hungry for? Because that righteousness is Jesus. He is the only righteous thing. And in hungering for Him, guess what? It will reflect in your life. It will reflect in your life. You see, when people see you're hungering, thirsting for righteousness, they will know they may not like it, but they will know that you are God's child instead of Satan's child. And so you, instead of being like this professor from Wheaton College that just got sentenced to three and a half years for child pornography, who called himself a Christian, and he may be, but he certainly didn't represent himself as one to the world. Or you can be like the, the guy who was killed over in Libya who was a Christian for simply following Jesus. Jesus instruct us in the truth. You know what? His children, His sheep hear His voice and they respond to Him. You know, I tell guys all the time, do you think I really wanted to adopt four children from China in my late 40s and early 50s? Do you think that was something that I put on my bucket list that I really want to do? You know what it's like to, you know, I, there's always a runny nose in my house, which means I'm always getting sick. All right? There's always things. I'm, I'm trying to help my fifth grader do math problems and I can't even understand the questions. I'm going, I'm too old for this. And, 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 and there's just always something. And I, I, I look at all my friends who them and their wives are going on vacations and doing stuff and their kids are out of the house and they're talking about how awesome it is. And I come home exhausted from ministering all day and, Daddy, can you come read me a story? Daddy, I want to tell you what happened today. Daddy, and not one, not two, not three, four. And one of them can't even really communicate. She communicates with grunts because she doesn't really communicate that well. But, but this is what God told me, Doug McCary, that He wants from me. And so my wife's got this little plate in our house and it says, Yes, Lord. And I see that plate every day, and I never want to say no to God. Never want to say no to Him. No matter what it is, 
He does not give us resources to spend on ourselves. He gives us resources to spend on His kingdom. Nobody adopts a child who's dying. I would not choose to do that. I hate to admit that to you. But I would not want to do that. But when God says do it, you say, okay, God. And I love that little girl. Because I know at some point, if he does not heal her or give her a heart, that I'm going to have to deal with other siblings that just watched a sister die. And even deal with a wife who has to bury a child. And that's not something I look forward to. But when God says do something, he will always give you the provision to deal with what he calls you to do. He will instruct us in truth. He doesn't make, you know, Matthew 25, and I'm, Matthew 25, he gives the, uh, Matthew gives the talents. And then right after that, he talks about the judgment of the sheep and the goats. Right after the talents. And he says, when, when, when did I do these things? When you did this to the least of these, you did it to me. Those ultimately seeking earthly satisfaction will ultimately reject Him as Lord. That's what they did in verse 30. It says, they, they said to Him, what must we do to be doing the works of the Lord? Jesus said, this is the work of the Lord that you believe in Him who He sent. So they said to Him, then what sign do you do? Now you remember, He's already fed 5,000 people with a few loaves and fish. He healed the man. That's why they started following Him. You see, unbelief is never satisfied. Unbelief will always look for excuses and want more and more and more. They said, what, what sign do you do? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna. They're going back to the manna. They don't believe. You know why they don't believe? And why they reject Him? It says in John 3, back in John 3, it says that they did not believe because they wanted to do the works of evil. The works of the world. Now, we wouldn't call the works of the world evil in a lot of ways. But listen, if it ain't what God wants you to do, it's evil. Because you're being disobedient. And those that ultimately seek earthly satisfaction. Well, you know, you know the first question, John, and, uh, that I get asked when I ask people to go on a mission trip? It's, it's never, you know what, I'm going to pray about that. That's an awesome opportunity. Is I don't have the time or I don't have the money. First two responses, almost unequivocally across, across the board. I don't have the time. I don't have the money. You know what? You don't have to have the time or the money because God can make time and He can make money for you to use. And, and, and I've been doing this 19 and a half years. I can't tell you how many trips I've been on. I never had the money up front for any of them. But He always seems to provide when I need it. And He will always provide for what, that, for who, what He wants you to do. And if He wants you to go, He'll provide for it. He's not going to call you something and sit there and go, okay, I want to see how you're going to do this. If He calls you to do it, He'll provide for it. But here's the sad part. Rejected truth brings confusion, frustration, and judicial blindness. Because you know what? Jesus starts teaching them after he says, he tells them, I'm the bread of life. I'm what you really should be hungry for. He tells them this truth and they reject it. They reject it because he starts talking about eating my body and, 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 and being satisfied with me and drinking my blood. And they're going, what is he talking about? 
They can't understand it. It makes no sense. And you know how many times I hear people say, you know, I try to read the Bible, but it doesn't make any sense to me. It's because they don't want to obey. They don't want to obey. Because if you read the Bible and your desire is to know Him and to obey, He's going to reveal it to you. Ask anybody who's walked with Him for any length of time. That's the way He works. He says in Scripture, that's how you, those who desire to do His will will know. Will know. True disciples. Well, let me go back and talk about this judicial blindness because some people get upset when you start talking about that. They start talking about the fact that, well, what do you mean they can't believe? It's called judicial blindness and it's scriptural. Anything I'm telling you today is coming right out of the scripture itself. You don't believe me? Flip your Bible over to Matthew 13 real quick. Matthew 13, 10 through 15. Look at this. Hear then the parable of the sower. I'm sorry, 13, uh, 10 through 15. Then the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. That is why I speak to them in parables. Seeing that they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but you will not understand. Now, if you just read that, then the judicial blindness thing may not, may not make a lot of sense. But reading that and then going over to John 12, which is a few chapters later, it makes a lot of sense. Because in John 12, he also refers back to Isaiah. John 12, 37. He says, Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. So that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes. Who's he? Yeah, he's blinded their eyes. And he's hardened their hearts. Lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. You see, it, there comes a point where truth is presented to you and you keep rejecting it, that God then turns you over to blindness judicially. <laughs> great responsibility is put on the man whom God's truth is given to. It is a great responsibility. And I'm sorry, guys, but every one of you here today who is hearing this, great responsibility is coming on you as a result of hearing this. God is sharing His truth with you and you have Two choices. You can either respond in obedience or respond in indifference or disobedience. It's the same thing. To not do it is the same thing as to willfully disobey. Would not believe leads to could not believe. When people refuse the truth, Jesus makes it harder for them to believe. That's scary. That's scary. True disciples believe His Word. Verse 60. And, 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 and I'm just going to uh, summarize 60 through uh, 71. But basically what happens, these people, after hearing this, uh, this teaching of, of eating the body where Jesus says, I'm the bread of life, you got to eat of me. They're going, we can't eat his body. 
And, and it says in verse 60, when many of the disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing to himself that his disciples were grumbling, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to the Father uh, to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. No one can come to him unless it's granted by the Father. True disciples believe his word and they're supernaturally connected to God. Once you get supernaturally connected to God, you cannot be separated from God. It's called eternal security. All right? But... False disciples do not believe His Word, and they're superficially connected to God. That's why the parable of the sower and the soils is in the Scripture. Mark tells us in Mark 4 that there are four types of soil. And the thorny soil, and the weedy soil, and the, uh, the thorny and weedy soil, and then the rocky soil look very much like the right soil. Those believers look like true believers, but they're not. They produce no fruit in their life because they're superficially connected. So when the sun comes out, which is persecution, tribulation, and temptation, it withers because there's no deep root. It's not supernatural. It's only superficial. John, uh, in, in John 6, he says, they, 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 the Father didn't give these to me. These are not mine. In John 8, Jesus calls them children. I think it's John 7. John 7, Jesus calls them children of the devil. It's John 7 or 8, one of those. It's 8, I'm sorry. It's at the end of chapter 8. He says, you are children of the devil. I mean, how would you like to... And these were the religious leaders. These are people that knew the Scriptures. How would you like Jesus to call you children of the devil? Your, what should your response to be? Oh, no, Lord, I want to follow God. Their response was they wanted to kill him. They picked up rocks to crush his skull, which proved he was exactly right in what he said. And you know what I find? When you confront people who profess to be Christians with sin in their life, and they get really angry and want nothing to do with you, and that's a pattern for them, you better start wondering if they're really children of God. Because the child of God desires to grow in his faith. It's like I was talking with Mike, and I, I, Mike doesn't care if I share this. Mike's pretty open about it, I hope. <laughs> but we were talking about something, and, and I was talking to him about something I was convicted about, and, he said, and, 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 and it's, it's how we respond when people mistreat us. Uh, and... I was, I was talking to Mike about that, and he said, you know, I really am convicted just hearing you say that. That should be our response if somebody comes up to you and talks to you. It shouldn't be, well, who are you to judge me? Which is typically a response. It should be, you know what? Thanks, brother. You know what? That's humility, guys. That's a sign of somebody who's in the family of God. If you're not, Go read 1 John 3 sometime. 1 John 3, 4 through 10. And it talks about a pattern of sin. When there's a pattern of unrepentant sin in your life, it proves you're the child of the devil. 
First John said that, not me. That's what, G, that's what First John says. But, and you know because there's just this practice of sinning and, and there's a desire to sin. Because what you ultimately desire is earthly satisfaction and not the Lord Jesus Christ. You're not hungry for Him as the Messiah, as the Lord. You're hungry for your flesh. Finally, it's only by grace that we can truly follow Jesus and know God. Verse 37, verse 39, verse 44, and verse 65 all say the same thing. You know what they say? I'm just going to pick one of them. Let's read 65, what I just read to you. No one can come to the Father unless it, I mean, can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. That is the sovereignty of God. And you know, people get all bent out of shape about God's sovereignty. But His sovereignty and our responsibility work hand in hand together. We can't explain it. There's no way that we can get our minds around it. It's like a five-year-old trying to understand calculus. You can't teach it to them. But somehow or other, God has His children spread out in the world and He sends us as His emissaries, His children who are following Him to go share the gospel so that His children will hear and respond. And they have a responsibility to respond. And we see that in this passage. See, the problem is, we, the way we view it a lot of times is we're out in the ocean and, 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 and we're drowning. And the truth is, we're on the bottom of the ocean and we're dead. And He has to breathe life in us to even bring us up. And He saves us. And He draws us to Him. And He gives us truth. And His children respond to that truth. And they continue to respond and grow. Now, we all grow at different levels. And, and, and you know what? We should never look at each other as a benchmark for where we are in our relationship with God. We should always look at Jesus. See, the problem is everybody wants a Savior. But nobody wants a Lord and King. Everybody wants a healer, but nobody wants a life of holiness. Everybody wants miracles, but nobody wants a master. They want to be their own master. Everybody wants power, but nobody wants purity that comes with that power. Everybody wants food, but nobody really wants fellowship with God. Because when you have fellowship with God and, and you are in sin in any way, you, you feel it. It's like when Peter was in the boat. And he knew he was in the boat with God. He said, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. Peter's a good, good case study. I'm going to close with this. If you go to 2 Peter, if you got your Bible, 2 Peter 1. Because this is, this is really a takeaway, guys. And I just... <clears throat> Peter didn't get it in his life, but he got it after Jesus died and was resurrected. And he's writing this, and I want, to just, I want you to listen to this. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, a sent one from Jesus, to those who have obtained a faith, now get this, of equal standing with ours. <laughs> he's writing to people just like us, so it applies to us. Our faith is with equal standing with Peter's. Peter didn't have this great level of faith that it's not about the amount of faith you have. It's the object of your faith, guys. And John, we used to use this illustration in Russia all the time. You could have ice that is that thick and believe it's incredibly thick and would hold you up and step out on it and you're still going to fall through. But you could have a little bit of faith and the ice could be three feet thick 
and step out on it and it's going to hold you. Why? Because the most important thing is not the amount of your faith, it's the object of your faith. And what Peter is saying is, listen, your faith is equal with our faith. It's the same thing. Why? Because it's the same object. And he goes on to say, by the righteousness, what? Of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of our Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things. Does it say Bible study? No. Does it say what church you go to? No. Does it say how much you give to the church? No. In your righteous acts, it says His divine power has been what? Granted to us. It has granted to us all things. All things. That means all-inclusive of everything that pertain to what? Life and godliness. Through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and His very great promises, so that through them, what? You may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. He's acknowledging there's sinful desires in them, guys. And, and I acknowledge that we have those. But He's given us everything. He says, for this reason, make every effort... Do you have to make an effort in a Christian life? Yes. Do you make an effort to please God? No. You make an effort because of what He's done for you. For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are what? They're increasing they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so short-sighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. That lays it all out there, guys. <laughs> That's the someday saint versus the borrowed time believer. It's right there. And, and that message is, listen... I know, uh, where's, where's Drake? Drake races cars. Drake, you got a big old motor in that race car, right? Now, it'd be, you'd, be pretty, well, you'd be pretty foolish if you were out there pushing that car, right? With a motor in it. And that's what we do in the Christian life. We try to push the Christian life car, and God's the motor, guys. And He says everything's there. And you can choose to live that way or not. And when you choose to live that way, you're going to have these things and your life is going to be ever increasing in godliness. And that means no gutter talk. That means no pornography. That means uh, no adultery. It means uh, you, 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 when people mistreat you, you respond to them in love. Not because you want to, but because you're ever increasing and what happens is you do these things, the world looks at you and goes, wow, they're different. They must be children of God. They must be Jesus followers. It's not a negative thing. It's a good thing. What are you hungry for? My prayer is, is that when you leave here today, that you will be hungry for Jesus, not because of what He can do for you or even what He's done for you, but because He's the sent one from God and He's called you to follow Him. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this time today and I thank you for your word. Your word is truth. 
And Lord, you, you are so gracious to us. You are the one true holy God. There is none like you. You sent your son to die for us. You sent him to show us who you were and to call us to you, Lord, and, and forgive us for our lack of faith. Forgive us for being preoccupied with the world and the, the pleasures of this world. Forgiven into the enemy and his temptation, to giving into our flesh. Forgive us for those things, Lord. Forgive us for our short sightedness. We are so grateful for what Jesus did on that cross. And Lord, I realize that there may be guys in process in here. There may be guys who have followed you, who, who, have, who have gone to church most of their lives. But Lord, they have not been living in light of this truth today. That Lord, you want us to be hungry for you. And you've given us all that we need for life and godliness. Father, let us live in that reality. And when we go out from these doors today, may people know without hesitation that when they talk to us, that they will be talking to children of God. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 amen.